You're listening to the You Mentor Talk Show, where we invite an expert each week to hear about their incredible journey and career paths. On today's show, we're chatting with Skeena Heider. Dr. Skeena provides gentle dental care for the entire family and creates smiles for all sizes. This week's show is brought to you by Bike Depot. I'm Fatima El Sayed, your You Mentor Talk Show host. Make sure to tune in every Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you'd like to get a notification whenever we're live, just go to our Facebook page and click the three little dots and hit follow. Skina, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you. How are you doing? Good. It's lovely to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. So your career title is? Um, My career title is general dentist or family dentist or cosmetic dentist. Okay. Um, So what does that entail? Being a Um, dentist? Traditionally, I think a lot of people think of dentists as going to the dentist just to get your teeth cleaned, or if you have a cavity to get a filling done, or if you're in pain to have a root canal. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, in the last several years, it's turned into a lot more than that. Um, I've chosen to go down, a, get into a niche where it's not just your routine kind of dentistry. I like to do a lot of cosmetic cases. Um, my passion is probably doing smile design where you do full mouth rehabilitation on, on, pe- on patient smiles mm-hmm. because they've either worn away their teeth completely um, or they've just had bad oral care when they were younger. And so they've just, they've, they, their teeth aren't in a condition where they um, are happy enough to smile. And so we go through and we do a complete smile makeover. And so that's, um, that's what, that's probably what I enjoy doing the most in dentistry, mm-hmm. but I do, um, we do do dentistry. We do provide dental care for in the entire family from little kids from the age of six months to how, you know, probably my oldest patient is probably 99 years old. Wow. Yeah. So truly of all sizes. All yeah. <laughs> we start when they're very young and you mm-hmm. know, we, we have patients of all ages. Of course. Um, so let's start with your career in school, first of all. Um, in order to get into dentistry, you have to complete an undergrad, correct? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So what route did you take? So when I went to my, I pursued my bachelor's, I went to McGill University in Montreal. And over there, I actually got into software engineering through computer science. Um, I did not have any plans to go to graduate school afterwards. So I was planning on just doing software engineering. And Mm -hmm. it was there that um, I decided that that just wasn't for me. It was a, when I was doing computer science, it just seemed like a field more where, um, I mean, it, it, you, you have to be really intelligent to do that as well, but it was a different kind of, um, and it was a more analytical field, which it mm-hmm. just, and it didn't involve a lot of social interaction. Um, and I enjoy talking to people. So I, you know, I wasn't quite finding my passion there. But um, I did have to do the requirements at my undergrad. So the requirements are similar to med school where you have to do your basic sciences. So chem, bio, uh, physics, organic chem, math. And so I had to do the first, the, my first year entailed doing the requirements. And then after that, you have to take an entrance exam and then you get into dental school. Okay. So it helped that you had to do those requirements beforehand because you had the base already to get into there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when I changed my, when I ch- decided, I was like, okay, I'm going to get my degree in this, but this isn't the career avenue that I'm going to pursue. Mm-hmm. I had the requirements in place and I was just, it was just a matter of taking the entrance exam, which is the DAT. And then I just applied. Yeah. So you kept your options open. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> um, so what 
what made you interested in dentistry? Um, so when I used to when I used to do my assignments uh, for computer science, I, I, I used to joke around that I would walk around the entire lab and talk to every single person there. And when I was done and I ran out of people to talk to, then I would finally sit down and do my assignments. <laughs> Um, so, and I, I mean, it was just, you know, I wasn't enjoying it. So I was talking to a friend. He was a childhood friend of mine. We had gone to like preschool together mm-hmm. and then both in college at the same time. And he told me, he was like, you know, his dad's a dentist. He's like, you know, why don't you come shadow my dad? I'm going to do dentistry as well. It's a great field. So I shattered his dad one summer. Um, and one of the things that stuck out was that when I went into his office and he had actually been my dentist as well from childhood. But when I went into his office, I remember a car salesman coming in. And they talked about their, the car dealership for like a good 10, 15 minutes. And then finally, he actually, you know, got in and, and took care of whatever his needs were. But I was like, this is amazing. Like, you literally just get to talk and have relationships with patients. And of course, it helped <laughs> well, but it was a very, um, it was a very social profession. And, I, and mm-hmm. that's and then of course I saw him doing all sorts of procedures I mean in in one given day he'd be taking out teeth he would be doing a root canal he would be doing fillings he was doing so much so Mm -hmm. that's what um, what got my interest was that you're working with your hands you get to work with your hands it's a very artistic field but at the same time it's a very social field you get to develop proper relationships with patients Mm -hmm. and you value that um, relationship with patients correct Oh yeah, that I mean, there. That's probably the best part of the day is you know that mm-hmm. you get those stories. Yes, you're taking care of them and helping them, but you hear their stories, and it's amazing the kind of stories you'll hear sometimes in the relationships that you'll develop, even though they're your patients. But sometimes, I mean, you can actually forge friendships through those because you develop such intimate relationships mm-hmm. with your patients. So your friend's dad, um, did he have his own private clinic? He did. Yeah, he had. Okay. His own and and is, he by twenty thirty at that point. And is there a difference between having your own private clinic and also, uh, or, you know, the more corporate clinics that people will go to? So, yeah, I actually worked at a corporate office um, for a couple of years, as a lot of a lot of doctors do when you first graduate from dental school, um, mm-hmm. you know, your experience there. But the problem is that, yeah, at corporate offices, you have a lot of um, turnover. So doctors will stay for maybe a year or two, and then they'll switch on to something else. Um, and so for that reason, there's not a lot of continuity of care in terms of patients, in, in terms of, you know, patients having the same provider caring for them. Um, and, and there's a lot of corporates more on, I don't think the East Coast has as much corporate dentistry, but I know the Midwest has a lot more in Texas where I am. Mm-hmm. So private practice, you know, you're going in, like I said, my friend's dad, he, he'd been there for 30 years. And so the, the same patients had been seeing him. So, you know, it was almost through generations, the same families were seeing him. So there's a lot more continuity with that. So let's go back to when you first started off your career. Um, can you take us through where you started working and how you reached the point where you are at now? Yeah, so I so I went to dental school, um, got through, that was four years. And after that, in the state of New York, they've, they've changed the rules. So before it used to be that you would just take a boards exam, your, your boards, like a regional boards for wherever you lived. And then you'd be licensed. And then they decided that, you know, a board exam is not necessarily a telltale sign of what a good clinician is because there's so many different factors. It can be the people um, judging the board's exam. They can be the patient. You can have a bad patient end up failing your exam. So they then decided to give the option in the state of New York, as in a lot of states are starting to change this, that you would complete a one-year residency program. Because in one year, you truly find out if somebody's competent. So I did a one-year residency at St. Luke's Faxon Healthcare over there, we saw things that we don't normally see. I mean, you have to deal with drug seekers, you deal with um, 
a lot of different disadvantaged populations, special needs cases. So I did a one-year residency there. And then after that, um, I moved back to Long Island. I worked in a couple of private practices, um, very different ones. One was mm-hmm. very medically driven. Another one was like a boutique dental office. Um, I shattered at a, de- at a dental office in Manhattan, which was, you know, like in the MetLife building. So all different types of offices. Um, and then finally, after about a couple of years of practicing in Long Island, my family moved to Dallas, a suburb of Dallas. And then over there, I actually worked at a corporate office. I learned a lot of um, what to do, what I did not agree with, what was being done in dental offices. And then finally, um, actually, no, the, before I opened my private practice, I worked for a dentist in a um, in a very high crime um, area, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had to be one of the most ethical and one of the most best clinicians I've ever worked with. And I learned a lot from him. And then I finally pushed myself to open my own practice. And he was, he almost became like a mentor towards me. And he mm-hmm. told me, you know, if there's something somebody else can do with their hands, there's no reason why you can't do it. Go get the training and you can do whatever procedure you want to learn. And anything from doing orthodontics to doing gum surgeries, to, I mean, to, to doing smile makeovers, you know, placing mm-hmm. implants really kind of pushed me out of my comfort zone. So what influenced your decision to open up your own clinic? Did you always see yourself doing that? I know, actually, <laughs> I have no intention of opening my own practice. Um, I was pretty content because my kids were young um, and I was pretty content just working, you know, nine to five mm-hmm. at job and coming home. But when I worked for the corporate office, um, there were several times that I was put in a position where, you know, they would be asking me, the people who were the more business side of it would be asking me to, to do things that I did not agree with clinically or ethically. And, um, and, and that was the part that really, um, made me, you know, rethink my decision. And at one point, I, I honestly didn't even like what I was doing over there because they were asking me to make clinical decisions that I didn't agree with. Um, and so I, I would come home and I would be so frustrated. And at one point, even my husband, he asked me, he's like, you know, you act like you don't like dentistry anymore. And I was like, truly, I don't like working here. I just don't like being in this situation. Mm-hmm. And it was, point I was like, okay, I either need to like change careers, at which point I was like, it's too late. I don't want to change careers or find a way for me to like this. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I decided I was like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. Um, I'm going to take care of patients and make the same decisions for my patients that I would do as if it was a family member and not just, you know, at a private, at the corporate office. I mean, they treated patients just, it's a different, it's a different business model. And it's not that it's not a successful business model, but um, I think as a, as a Muslim, this has always been important to me that, you know, integrity is is key. And so Mm -hmm. whatever you, you pursue there has to be integrity and you have to make decisions on your patients as if you would do as if they were your own family member and I didn't feel like I was doing that there I was doing what they wanted me to do and um so that was really the reason that that's what pushed me into opening my own private practice I thought um a question that comes to mind is at the corporate office uh did you feel that patients, you, you got that long-term patient, patient care. So that, I, that is what you went into dentistry for. And over there, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel like I had that mm-hmm. um, because patients, patients would come to me and then you know, next time they might see another doctor, they might see a different provider mm-hmm. that they would continuously leave. They have a big influx of patients coming in, but then they also have a patients, patients leaving at the same time. Mm-hmm. So no. And, and that's why it wasn't, um, as rewarding over there. And, and it was exactly the opposite of why I had come into the profession. It was very short-lived relationships. Yeah. 
But I will say when I did open my private practice, I did have several patients from that corporate office, even though I was only there for maybe a year or two, um, they sought me out and they're now my patients and they've been for years now. Oh, wow. So, I mean, I, I actually did forward some relationships, even though um, I did not agree with the with the, the model that they had of practice. Yeah, but you created an impact. But I did. Yeah, yes. I, um, I'd, like, I'd like to hope I did. <laughs> um, we have a question from the audience for you. Uh, they're asking, how did you manage the social pressure, sometimes from family when switching from engineering to dentistry or from, yeah, from software engineering to dentistry? That's a, that's a good question. So actually, okay, so when I went in, there was a little bit of a backstory. When I went into software engineering, um, I had always thought everybody in my family was very medicine related. My brothers had gone into medicine. The plan was that my sister would go into medicine as well, um, mm-hmm. but got married and it wasn't quite ideal to go into medicine for her. So she um, didn't, she, she finished her degree, but she didn't go on to an, you know, a different, um, like a graduate program. So that's why I chose software engineering thinking that, you know, this is what I'm, this is what I'm going to do. And, and my parents were like, are you sure you want to do engineering? Because nobody in my family had done it. Mm-hmm. So when I finished, you know, when I was struggling when I was like, you know, I'm going to do it just to prove that I can get the degree, but this isn't what I want to do. I, you know, my mom was like, you should find something that you're happy doing. So I didn't want to do medicine for other reasons. So I chose dentistry and my parents were a little bit skeptical actually, when I first chose dentistry, because uh, my brother had actually gone to dental school, decided he hated it and then left. <laughs> They were like, um, all right, let's not repeat the same thing with another child. <laughs> Are you sure you want to do dentistry? So when I, I shadowed um, my childhood friend's father, um, that kind of cemented it and that made it more concrete that, yes, this mm-hmm. is what I want. So when I explained that to him and had that conversation, they could clearly see I wasn't happy doing computer science and I was just yeah. doing it. And at one point they were like, why don't you just switch out now? And I was like, no, at that point I had to kind of prove it to myself. I was like, mm-hmm. do it, but it's just not something to do. So it was, it was, they were on board with it. They were, I mean, but they did want to make sure that I was really sure because and that you were happy with what you were doing. Yeah. Because they had yeah. seen when I go to dental school and not enjoy it and be like, mm-hmm. oh my, I don't want to have my hands in something else for the rest of my life. I can't do this. Yeah. So, but once they saw that I had shadowed and that I was okay with it, then they were, they were on board with it. When you entered uh, software engineering, did you expect yourself to work in that? Like, did you see yourself working in that field? I did. And, and that was the plan was that, you know, um, when I saw a lot of my female cousins and you know, siblings around me that they didn't go on to grad school afterwards, that was the plan. That's why I went into it thinking that, okay, even if I, if I get married, I'm not able to, you know, go on to some sort of grad school, this will be the perfect um, field to have a job, which, and um, there were uh, my colleagues who I graduated from, from McGill, they are, a lot of them are all very successful. They did stay in the same field and they did get very good jobs. I mean, software mm-hmm. engineering fantastic field. It's just, it's a, it's a different kind of um, learning that you have to do. Okay. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think software is a bad field. I always joke whenever I have patients who come in who are like computer engineers, electrical, I'm always like, oh, you must be really smart. Because <laughs> I joke with them, I'm like, you know, I did it. I learned the languages, but it just wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. So something um, that sparks my interest is the smile design. Can you tell us more about it? Um, yeah, so smile design is basically, so you have patients, you know, you'll talk to them about, you know, do you want to fix your smile? You know, you will always look questions of, okay, you know, what are you here for? What are your goals? We'll always go over the goals whenever a patient comes in. Um, and they'll tell us, you know, I want to get my teeth cleaned or I will have this tooth bothering me. And then I'll ask them, are you happy with your smile? 
some people will say yes, some people will say no. Um, and when they say no, I'll ask them, okay, what is it about your smile that bothers you? And then they'll tell me like, oh, you know, I, I don't like to smile because when I smile, I have this gap between my teeth or my teeth mm -hmm. are really... And then I'll go through and I'll, and I'll go a little bit deeper. Like, you know, when does it bother you? And it's like, oh, I hate it when people take pictures. Like, it's the first thing I notice about myself in a photo. So we'll go through, we'll dig, you know, we'll dig deeper. We'll continue that conversation. And then, then we'll start to ask them, you know, if you could change something, if you had a magic wand, if money wasn't an issue, what would you change? And then they'll tell me, okay, I wish my teeth were straight or they were whiter or they were. So when it's a case of um, the teeth are not straight or they want to change the position or the shape or the color, then we give them all the different options. And we tell them, we go, okay, this is like the gold star option, the option of like, if, if, you know, finance were an issue, we could do this. We would put veneers on all the mm -hmm. teeth. They've had broken down teeth. They've had bad um, oral care from when they were younger where they've had so many cavities and the veneers is an option. Then we'll do crowns. And then we'll, then we actually have a book where they'll go through and they'll choose the color, the size, the shape of their teeth, which is pretty cool because they can basically, basically start from scratch mm -hmm. and a smile they want. Um, and it's, and then it's a process. We'll have the lab send us a whole wax simulation of what their teeth will look like. Um, some labs will actually do a computer simulation. My lab doesn't do that, but they send me a wax a wax up of what the teeth will look like. And then I've actually had some patients sit down and we'll have a meeting where we will critique that wax up. And so I had a patient once, he'd had his teeth already redone and he didn't, he wasn't happy with them. And he hated taking photos. We literally could not find one before photo of him. Oh, wow. Um, smiling. Yeah, he hated smiling. So we went through and he was like, you know, I want the teeth to look thinner here. I want them to look more um, natural when I smile. Mm -hmm. And so like his teeth were too one patient felt like his teeth were too small like they were they weren't um you know like men usually have larger more square shaped teeth and so we went through and we had two three sittings where we would just sit down and design the teeth and he would go through and decide no I want to make this too small I want to make this longer and you'd be surprised how much detail goes into this um and then finally we found what he liked and he truly he was like I smile in all the photos with my kids now whereas before <laughs> Or like he wouldn't and I had another guy he was funny he's he actually used to smile so much even though he didn't like his he didn't like the way his teeth looked. he was always just a very outgoing upbeat mm -hmm. personality so so it, it wasn't that he stopped smiling he just wasn't happy with the way his smile looked ever and so and he had had just um he had a you know a kind of a tough um time when he was younger and so he had gone through a lot oral care was not a priority when he was growing up and so we went through with the specialist. It was kind of a multidisciplinary case where we went and sent him to the gum specialist. They got his gum disease under control. And then we, we did the crowns. And he actually ended up giving a big, um, doing a video interview for them as well because it was just night and day. His teeth looked beautiful afterwards. And he, mm -hmm. the story was, he goes, you know, he was taking a photo of there was something like weather related going on. So he took a picture to show his friends like how crazy the weather was. And a bunch of them texted back. They were like, the weather may be crazy, but hey, man, your teeth look great. <laughs> so <he told> me, <laughs> I was laughing. I'm like, hey, well, there you go. If your guy friends start noticing your teeth, well, then I consider that a success. So that was, I mean, those kind of things are always fun. Having the ability to give someone back their smile is such an amazing thing. Valuable. And you'd be mm -hmm. surprised. Sometimes the people who don't necessarily come across as vain, it's not necessarily a vain thing, um, but it just becomes a self-image, you know, thing where they just truly stop smiling. And, you know, when you stop smiling, it affects your personality and you don't even mm -hmm. realize. Um, I had one lady, she doesn't even speak a whole lot of English, but she, when she, we fixed her smile, she told us, she was like, you know, it has really made a difference. Like, I feel like I smile more, so I'm happier now. So mm -hmm. that was, I mean, I never actually even thought of it that way. I, I think it could also influence people to become more outgoing. It does. Oh, yeah. feel comfortable. Yeah. When you're, you're um, more introverted, but then you start smiling for it, it necessarily 
it necessarily just makes you um, more approachable, I think. Mm -hmm. What are some other cool projects or different experiences your profession has given you the opportunity to explore? Um, so, I, you know, I will quickly tell you about a dental school professor, which I didn't go into prosthodontics, but this was, it was, um, when I, I still remember him showing us the slides in dental school. So he opened, he opened my eyes to a part of dentistry I didn't even realize was there, because usually we mm -hmm. think of surgery when we think of like rebuilding people's faces but he was a prosthodontist and when he did his residency and his training um, where he specialized in it further they basically worked on war veterans who had lost parts of their face during the war or cancer patients and he would out of acrylic build like ears and lips and parts of the face like it was just mind-boggling it would blow you away when you saw the pictures of before and after so that was that's I mean definitely one of the most interesting parts I think in our field um, Just to clarify, prosthodontics is someone who works with prosthetics? So they, they basically work with any prosthetic part of the um, mouth, usually. Mm -hmm. um, basically a highly specialized prosthodontist. So usually when you think of prosthodontists nowadays, you think of patients who are doing a lot of like crowns. Um, similar to when I was talking to you about the smile mm -hmm. smile. That's usually what they do. But this specific professor, he did it. It wasn't just prosthetics of the teeth. It was of the face as well. Wow. So that, that's not your run-of-the-mill prosthodontist. Um, mm. But he did. He, he rebuilt parts of the face, which was just amazing. Um, but sorry, going, that was, I digress. That was a good <laughs> no of what cool things we've done. Um, one of the procedures I've, I've uh, got into in the last two, three years was, is called a phrenectomy. And that's where mm -hmm. you have, you are tongue-tied. And so actually hospitals are supposed to screen for this because it'll actually affect infants when they're born. They won't be able to nurse properly because what happens is the tongue is restricted to the floor of the mouth. The little tissue that, that usually connects your tongue to the floor of mouth is thicker and shorter than normal. Mm -hmm. And so not shorter, but it's thicker than normal. And so um, when a child tries to move their tongue or even or an infant tries to nurse from their mother, um, they can't, the tongue doesn't, the tongue is restricted and can't move the way it's supposed to. And so a phrenectomy is when you go and you uh, remove that extra tissue and basically now the tongue can move freely. So there was actually um, a newspaper article recently in Texas. It was a six-year-old child. They, the parents had taken him to doctors and I think the child had had a brain aneurysm. And so they assumed that this child couldn't talk anymore. And he was so, so restricted verbally that they thought he, they diagnosed him as being special needs. And so the, the dentist was working on him fixing other teeth and realized, noticed that his, he was tongue-tied, that the tongue couldn't move properly. And so it literally was a 10-second procedure. She numbed him clip that area and by dinner time that night that child could talk I mean it was amazing wow um that's one of the procedures I've done I did it on a teenager a couple of years ago and the mom was like she won't stop sticking her tongue out at us now because she could <laughs> literally stick her tongue out so that was that was cool I had a um, teenager a couple of weeks ago as well we did the same thing where it's like little things you it's hard to make certain sounds mm -hmm. um put tongue to the roof of your mouth now now likewise I've also had adult patients who um they have to kind of work through it it was never addressed when they were younger and so they've had to like work extra hard to actually be able to make those sounds and talk properly mm -hmm. what's but your least favorite part of the job oh root canals by far <laughs> I, hate root canals. I, I feel like it takes a certain personality not to knock any of the specialists that I work with but I feel like it takes a certain personality to sit there and do root canals all day long it's just it's very tedious and it's very time consuming and I guess I enjoy stuff that I can see um, the effect faster mm -hmm. so and 
collectively i mean like other than smile design i mean i enjoy braces i enjoy orals i even enjoy oral surgery i'll sometimes joke with my patients you know i'll be like you know i love taking teeth out but they'll be like what that sounds crazy but there's a thrill i guess of doing oral surgery that i enjoy but no root canals are definitely my least favorite do not enjoy that so let's talk about work-life balance um when you worked at the corporate, did you feel like you were able to balance your life more? Um, yes, yes and no. So the hours were more conducive to having a work-life balance in the sense I didn't have to work work, work on the weekends. You know, when you own your mm-hmm. practice, you are on call all the time. Um, I recently, you know, we, we took a family trip recently and it was five o'clock in the morning. I was in another country and I was taking a call for a patient because you are on call all the time. So yes, in that sense, yeah, I wasn't on work, working on weekends. I wasn't on call. But um, no, in the sense that uh, I wasn't happy when I was working at the corporate office. So I feel like that would kind of spill over into my personal life. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. When you're happy what you're doing, you're okay to work a little bit more. So in my own private practice, it's been such a thrill. And you're so proud of the hard work that you do that, yes, the hours are a little bit longer, but you enjoy it more. Mm-hmm. And, and family, your family enjoys it too. When you're happy, then your family's happy around you. So um, there's, there's definitely a bit, you know, you definitely do have to give up a little bit of your um, own time when it's your own business and it's your own practice. Um, I do two Saturdays a month, but I've, you know, I've, I've made that balance now that I'm going to work two Saturdays a month, you know, because that is a big service to patients who can't otherwise get to dentist, get to mm-hmm. the dentist, but they work all week as well. Mm-hmm. Alternatively, because it's your own private practice, I can also take off a day. So I usually take off one weekday. That way I can get stuff done that I need to get done. But then I also, you know, I'm still working the, the right amount of hours that I need to. Yeah. What's a piece of advice you have for someone who is thinking of going into dental school? Um, the most important thing I think would be go into it for the right reasons. Um, I know in, in a lot of cultures, you know, we go into certain professions because of fame and because of prestige. You have to truly go into it for the right reasons. Otherwise, you mm-hmm. will hate you will not enjoy it so um, if you're artistic if you enjoy the sciences but you have that artistic flair I think it's a fantastic field Um, and if you're going to go into it you you, I mean you have to work hard I think now getting into dental school is more competitive than it used to be Um, before it used to be that joke of like oh if you don't get into med school then (laughs) apply to dental school Um, (laughs) it's not quite like that anymore it's definitely a lot harder I know when I went to dental school and that was what 14 years ago um it, the the GPA the incoming GPA was like three point nine so it's definitely gotten a lot more competitive mm-hmm. and I know two thousand applicants applied for thirty nine seats back that wow. was so it's it's gotten it's it's only gotten more competitive mm-hmm. um, if you're, and more expensive oh yes yes and much more expensive I mean if you look at the private schools I'm not going to name any schools but the private schools have gone up to about five six hundred thousand just upon graduating so again you've got to make sure you do your homework you know look at the schools you want to apply to. And the most important thing I would say is shadow. Go to a dental office and find somebody who you can watch and really see if that's what you want to do. Um, because if you go into it not really knowing what to expect, then it, it may be a big surprise for you. So I would definitely, shadowing I think would be the most important. I have, I mean, I have a lot of students who come through in shadow. I've got two students who are shadowing now. And a lot of them, I mean, it, actually, I'm so impressed. Some of these young people, like they'll shadow at a pharmacist and they'll shadow at a dentist and they'll shadow... Mm-hmm. One, I mean, she shadowed at like five or six different professions. She knew she wanted to go in the medical field, but she went for what? So I would definitely shadow. That way you really get an idea of, you know, is this what I truly want to do? 
And what skills do you need to have in order to be truly successful? Um, the, the most obvious skill is you've got to have, you've got to be able to work with your hands. Um, you, you've got to be artistic because there is a lot of artisticness that goes into it, depending on what, you know, part of dentistry you go into. But if, you know, like in the cosmetic field, you have to be artistic. Um, and if you're not naturally artistic, then you've got to practice until you become artistic. Um, hand skills would be the best. And I'd say number two is actually communication. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, your patients, with your staff, with everybody who comes into the office, whether they're a patient or not. Communication is huge. And again, if that's not something you're naturally good at, you have to take the classes and get good at it. Then mm-hmm. You've got to communication skills. So, I mean, if they're, if someone's thinking about dentistry when they're in their undergrad, that's the time you work on your, you know, you take classes in communication as well. Um, and then, and figure out, are you good at working with, with your hands as well? Mm-hmm. So before we end, um, is there anything you want to say? Um, final yeah, piece of advice. My, fi- my final piece of advice um, is that, you know, you want to choose a profession that's going to number one, pay your bills and number two, make you happy because you're going to be doing it every day and you, you, know, mm-hmm. you have to become good at it. But on the flip side, you know, I was having a conversation with somebody recently. Um, you know, when, when, when your time is done, I don't necessarily want dentists written on my tombstone, right? I want to make sure that whatever profession I choose or whatever anyone, someone chooses, you want to make sure that you leave a legacy and that you have a good impact on people and that you use that to, you know, and not just as a Muslim, but as a person to, to do good for others. But I guess even more so as a Muslim, you want to choose whatever profession you decide to pursue it has to be to, to do good and to leave a legacy more than just that profession. You really want to um, create something bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Find something it, that really inspires you in it and go for it. Yes, because that is invaluable. When you can do something, like I said, when you make someone smile more, you make someone happier, you add to their happiness, you know, and you, and you can use that your profession to do that. I feel like that's a win-win. That's, you know, you're, you're, you're doing something to, to have, you know, because it's your career, because it's your profession, but you're also doing something that's uh, much bigger than that mm-hmm. um, it's in, a, in a bigger way. So that would probably be my advice that, you know, whatever profession you choose, use that profession to do something that's beyond just that. Do something um, for the bigger picture. Thank you so much for your invaluable advice. You are so welcome. I'll be speaking to you today. Okay, thank you. Thank you. You were just listening to the You Mentor Talk Show. If you have any questions for the panelists or any of our past speakers, you can always reach out to them or ask them questions by visiting our online platform at umojaoutreach.org slash unleash the future slash groups. Be sure to tune in next week on Saturday at 3 p.m. for another panel of speakers and more stories. Thank you for listening to our panel today on Facebook Live and for asking questions. You can always catch up on the previous shows on SoundCloud or on our iTunes podcast.